Okay, this is uh, Spirit of the Antichrist, is what we've been talking about. This is uh, part five, and um, I know that for some of you, you haven't been able to be at every session, and so hopefully you'll take the time to go back and watch the videos if you're watching online, which we have about oh, ten times as many people watch it online as actually come uh, to our Bible study. But if you're watching it online, same thing, encourage you to go back and catch all of the session so you can kind of keep it in context. But I do like to review each uh, week as we kind of get going uh, and so we kind of put it in context and make sure that uh, for those of you that this may be your first time you know where we're coming from. So we're talking about the fact that the Bible says the spirit of the Antichrist which we have heard is coming, the Antichrist, notice it's a capital A there, is already in the world. In other words, Satan and his plan to take over the world is using deception and all of the things that he will use in full during that final seven-year period just prior to Christ's return, even now, setting the stage. In fact, John elsewhere says many antichrists have come. Notice the the lowercase a there. Paul put it this way, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work in this present age. We've talked in previous sessions about how in God's plan of the ages, the present church age constitutes the final age before the coming kingdom. There is a transition time, the 70th week of Daniel, that we will talk about in greater detail in the weeks and months to come. Uh, But in terms of God's major uh, uh, time periods, the present church age, which currently has lasted about 2,000 years from the time of the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 to the present day, Uh, is the final age. The only thing left in God's plan of the ages is to usher in the kingdom. When Christ comes back, takes the throne, throws off the shackles of the revived Roman Empire, uh, throws Satan in prison for a thousand years, and uh, rules and reigns over the old heaven and old earth for a thousand years. Uh, We've also talked about how the Spirit expressly says that in these latter times, some will depart from the faith. Uh, This is talking to pastors in the pastoral epistles and talking about the church. In fact, he says, some will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons. And so a couple of weeks ago, we kind of did a a quick primer on angelology and demonology and talked about uh, how uh, Satan's legion of demons are his co-conspirators in this effort to take over the world, and they're having an impact. And so We're working our way through seven manifestations of that spirit of the Antichrist today. And I've been doing a lot of work on this week to week. It's it's a work in progress. But I thought I would go ahead and and give you a a quick uh, sneak peek, if you will, at what's to come. So right now, we're talking about the spirit of pretense. And we've spent quite a bit of time on that. We've still got some more time to go because that is the number one MO of Satan is deception. Jesus said he's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. Uh, When he speaks, he cannot speak anything but a lie. So this spirit of pretense is worthy of a lot of uh, focus in terms of taking what the Bible says about Satan's uh, deceptive methodology and overlaying it with our current world today and saying, hey, do we see any signs of this happening? So we're going to get into more of that this morning. But I want you to look ahead there at some of the things that are coming down the pike. When we finish with pretense, I'm going to talk about the spirit of phenomena. And there are a lot of things that are really uh, increasing, and there's a big uptick in phenomenalistic things happening. I'm going to give you a lot of examples of that 
uh, in that section. And then we're going to talk about the spirit of pride and the spirit of power, the spirit of persecution, something that we here in America have largely been immune to. Uh, yeah, sure, Christians in America have suffered varying degrees of persecution in certain ways, but nothing like what many people in the church have faced for the last 2,000 years in other parts of the world. So we're going to talk about the spirit of persecution that is coming because, of course, it will reach unprecedented heights during that seven-year uh, tribulation when uh, Satan indwells the Antichrist and sets his sights on uh, believers. Then we're going to talk about the spirit of perversion and finally the spirit of pluralism. So today we continue with the number one on that list, the spirit of pretense. And last week I showed how for centuries world leaders have admitted that there is a global Luciferian elite. And um, I, I talked about Lucifer in our very first session and how the Bible talks about Lucifer was an angel uh, in heaven and that he fell when he rebelled against God and he took one-third of the angels with him, which are now his demons. So when we talk about Lucifer, we're talking about the devil, Satan. And so I showed you last week how for centuries world leaders have admitted that there's this Luciferian global agenda, this global elite that is largely invisible and pulls the strings of world affairs at Satan's behest. Remember we said a conspiracy is just two or more entities working together for a nefarious agenda. So the Luciferian agenda involves Satan, demons, and human beings that are working on his behalf. So... Uh, because that was so important to lay the foundation, I want to give you a couple new quotes that I didn't give you last week, and then we'll uh, move on uh, beyond that. So Manly P. Hall, some of you may know that name, but probably one of the most famous of all Freemasons. He was, uh, his book, The Secret Teachings of All Ages, is essentially uh, an encyclopedia of the Masonic uh, Satanic teachings. And uh, he's been widely recognized in all kinds of fields of mythology, mysticism, occult, philosophy, theosophy, and psychology. In fact, he was really uh, influential in the, in the life of Carl Jung, uh, a leading uh, psychologist. But notice what Manley P. Hall said. There are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. Uh, because we constantly see this reference to invisible powers uh, for centuries, going back, uh, quoted by many of the world leaders and other key influential people, that's the reason on my book, The Great Last Day's Deception, which came out in 2012, the cover art, I chose a marionette with strings and, and key governmental centers across uh, the world. We need to understand that things are not always as they appear. Um, and then also uh, uh, this quote by Amaryllis Fox. Amaryllis Fox, I've heard her interviewed many times. I'm not sure if she's a believer. Probably not. And certainly Manly P. Hall was not a believer. He was a Satan worshiper. But Amaryllis uh, Fox was a CIA agent for almost 10 years, an operative, and uh, has a lot of inside scoop. Uh, by the way, she just came out with a documentary, I think it's six parts, documentary on Netflix called the biz, I think it's called The Business of Drugs, and it's really fascinating. I've watched the first two parts of that, just kind of behind-the-scenes look at the war on drugs, uh, if you're interested in that. But I heard her interviewed one time uh, on the radio, and I uh, wrote this down. 
She said, history may not always repeat itself, but at the very least, it rhymes. You know, Satan is a liar, but he's not always the most creative. So he uses a lot of the same means and methods and tech, you know, techniques to try to advance his uh, agenda. Sometimes people will ask me, well, if, if there's been this new world order plan for so many centuries, you know, why hasn't it been ushered in? Great question with a simple answer. Satan is not all-powerful, and his co-conspirators are not always on the same page. There's power struggles. Uh, there are, you know, internal struggles and competing agendas, and it's not a monolithic thing where Satan can simply say, this is going to happen, and it happens. Uh, and so we've seen, uh, and I talked about this a, a few weeks ago in, a, in our worship hour when we were in Hebrews chapter 2, there have been times when we've gotten closer than others to a one-world system. Many world empires and dictators have sought to usher in a one-world empire, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. Uh, what we know from the biblical record is that at least by the time of the rapture, uh, or at least by the time of the start of the tribulation, which technically is after the rapture, a few, some time after, at least by the time of the start of the tribulation, there will be a one-world system in place because the Antichrist has to take the helm of it according to prophetic scripture. But that doesn't preclude this one-world system from already being in place even during the church age. That would not be inconsistent with the biblical record. Most dispensational scholars have taught for years that the one-world system is ushered in with the Antichrist and the signing of the peace treaty, Daniel 9.27, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, could be the case, but we may see, especially if the Lord tarries is coming with all that's going on in the world today, we may find ourselves living in a one-world system with a one-world dictator even prior uh, to the rapture. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting quote, at the very least, history rhymes. In 2 Corinthians 4, we are reminded that Satan is in the business of blinding. That's what deception does, doesn't it? It blinds you. It blinds you to the truth. It taints your view of reality. It convinces you that something is reality when it's not. And Paul tells us that Satan is blinding men's hearts first and foremost to the gospel. Uh, to the gospel. So um, with that kind of introduction, I want to pick up where we left off last week. And let me make sure my speakers are on, because I want to play a short clip that I think you'll find uh, very, very interesting. Uh, the, the Operation Mockingbird is a CIA operation. Uh, it was very large scale. It was started in the 1950s, and it was an attempt to manipulate the mainstream news media, which included print media, TV, and radio back at that time. Today it includes online uh, media. It also funded certain student and cultural organizations and magazines, Time, Newsweek, all of those, Life magazine were a part of Operation Mockingbird. And literally thousands of agents infiltrated, were on the CIA payroll, and worked for editors and producers of these shows. And it is still going on today. And what I want to show you is a stunning video clip exposing the reality of Operation Mockingbird so that the next time you watch your local news right here in Denver or Colorado Springs or wherever you live, uh, you will keep this in mind that they are reading a script. The media has been co-opted and is simply an agent of deception. 
That doesn't mean that everybody involved in media is aware of it any more than everybody that works for the CIA is aware of their ultimate Luciferian agenda. It's very compartmentalized. But there can be no doubt for those who take the time uh, to look at it that the media is absolutely being controlled. Yeah, question. I think we see this when you have the talking points of the day. Yeah. Everybody's saying the same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Gary just basically had a perfect setup for the clip that I'm going uh, to show you, but the, he, he referenced talking points. Now, when people hear the phrase talking points, they think it was something that Bill O'Reilly's creative staff made up to be a segment on his show. Not true at all. It was come up with by Mockingbird, and they would send these talking points to the editors, and that's the reason, that's the reason that with 335 million people in the United States of America and two primary mainstream cable news outlets, they're always showing the same news coverage. Now, of course, as we talked about last week, they're doing it from different angles because they have this fake right-left paradigm and they want to capture the hearts of all the conservatives over here and make them feel like they have someone that's pleading their cause. And over here, they want to capture all the hearts of the liberals and progressives to make sure they think they have someone pleading their cause. But really, it's a one-way street and they're all covering the same news. Why is it? If you think, if you thought it was random, with 335 million people in the world and one, say, 30-minute show, pick whichever one the biggest one is on CNN or Fox News, why wouldn't there, why would there ever be any overlap? I mean, there are so many stories nationwide, not to mention worldwide, nationwide that could be covered, and yet they're always covering the same thing just from different angles. Why? Well, we're going to find out why. So this is about a, oh, I think it's about a three-minute clip, and uh, if you want to turn your attention to the video here, we'll watch this. It's uh, from, this is taken by those two, two minutes and 40 seconds. It's uh, taking, uh, taken from a, a clip that I kind of uh, harvested out of a uh, documentary called Out of the Shadows. There's no question about the fact that Mockingbird is real. It started out paying journalists in major media, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists, to print fake stories uh, that the CIA wanted in the press and fake interviews. And this was revealed in the church committee. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing to a major circulation American journal. We do have people who submit pieces to other to American journals. And of course, then the CIA destroyed the rest of the files, which is what they do. George H.W. Bush came out and finally made the statement about Mockingbird. Well, we're going to officially stop the Mockingbird program. The CIA will no longer pay journalists to write stories. From now on, the program is voluntary, which means Mockingbird continues today. When's the last time you've seen a mainstream media outlet do a serious investigative report on the actions of the CIA? There's a reason for that. This would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. Would you say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, 
It seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. So, I mean, I thought it was pretty clever. They could have chosen any one of hundreds of clips from the scripts that local news media read when they're handed them, but they chose one that really had a sort of a double meaning because it really is extremely dangerous uh, to our democracy. So we need to understand, first and foremost, if you are getting your information from mainstream media, you are allowing those weapons of mass deception to, wittingly or not, influence your worldview and your thinking. Turn the TV off, is my advice. We need to also remember, as we think about the spirit of pretense, that God is not an American. Uh, nobody's more patriotic than me. My father served uh, very uh, patriotically in the military, retired lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserves, and uh, I have taken my children to uh, D.C. many times, and we've been to Arlington Cemetery. I uh, get emotional every time I go there. I'm proud to be an American, proud of those who've served to defend the freedoms we have in this country. But America is only 244 years old in the grand scheme of 6,000 years of human history, and God is not an American. In fact, the psalmist David, we find out based in, on Acts chapter 4, we know David wrote Psalm 2, reminds us that why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. You know, sometimes I think, I'm, I'm just speaking metaphorically, but I do wonder sometimes if God doesn't look down at how many right-wing evangelical Christians think that America is the answer to the world's problems and laughs. It's not about America. Um, in fact, uh, uh, prior to Christ coming back and taking the throne, which God Himself in the form of His eternal Son, Jesus Christ, will take the throne of David, rule and reign in perfect peace and justice and righteousness on the throne as promised to Him in Scripture. But prior to that, the Antichrist is going to rule, as we've been talking about. And all authority will be given Him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. We've got to step back and realize that this isn't an America against the Muslims or America against the progressives or America against communism. All of that is important. It is, it is a threat. These are not good things. We should be concerned about some of the you know, Sharia law and some of the communistic, socialistic things that are coming down the pike. But those are not the end of the game. I've been doing this long enough and speaking about these things uh, for many, many years now. And every time there's a new flare-up, that becomes the enemy. And everyone thinks the Antichrist is going to be 
communist or he's going to be Muslim or he's going to be this or he's going to be that. No, he's going to be a pluralist as we talked about in the first session. He's going to be one who can harness all religions together to come worship him. In fact, Daniel tells us he's going to deny the religion of his father. So he might be a former Muslim, for example, but he's not going to be following any one religion. Uh, we've simply got to break free from the bias of American exceptionalism. It's time for Christians to see beyond this naive perspective and view our country through the lens of Scripture. Instead of looking at Scripture through the lens of America, we need to take off our USA glasses and look at it through the lens of Scripture. A uh, friend of mine that I've done uh, several conferences with and that I, I respect is uh, Dr. Ed Heinsen. And uh, we've done multiple prophecy conferences together, and often there will be a panel discussion at these conferences at the end of the week. And it's where people can ask their questions ad hoc on the spot, or usually they require you to write them down throughout the week on cards, and they put them in a box, and then a moderator will ask the panel questions. And I heard him say this one time, so I want to give credit where credit's due, and it always resonated with me in terms of this idea of American exceptionalism. He said, I've traveled the world speaking on Bible prophecy, something I've not done. Most of my travel has been in the United States. He said, I've traveled the world. And he goes, I speak on the same subjects, Bible prophecy, the rapture, the second coming, the end times, all of those biblical prophecies. And he said, never in any other country have I had someone raise their hand and ask the question, where is you know, Brazil in biblical prophecy? Or where is Canada in biblical prophecy? Or where is Haiti in biblical prophecy? But every time I do a conference in America and people ask questions, one of the inevitable questions is, where's the USA in Bible prophecy? So it just, it just sort of betrays our biased perspective. And while we think about the fact that God is not an American, it might also be worth remembering that God is not a Republican. And as you saw, I think it was last week in the video, which would be part four, um, we talked about this false, this fake left-right uh, paradigm. Uh, they're really, even though on paper the agendas are different. If you handed me a list of the policies of the, Republic, the RNC and the policies of the DNC, I'm going to align very closely with the RNC policies, as should any biblical Christian. But the problem is those policies don't translate into action because everything stays the same. Everything We still have abortion. We're getting worse and worse in terms of the gender surrender movement, as I call it, in terms of the LGBT movement, in terms of gay rights and gay marriage. All of those things happened uh, when the Republican had, had a major, Republicans had a majority on the Supreme Court. That should tell you something. That should tell you something, that it, is, it doesn't matter which candidate wins the White House. It's all controlled, and it's getting more and more obvious, and more and more people are waking up to this. I don't mean to sound so cynical. I mean, I challenge people to do what you feel led to do to try to make a difference in this world. That's what we should all be doing. But don't fall into the trap of thinking that if we simply vote for candidates that have an R after their name, all our troubles will be over. Frankly, most of our troubles have been started by candidates that have an R after their name. It's not about an R or a D. It's the illusion of choice. It doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right, you're still headed in the same direction. I call this Calvinistic voting, right? The illusion of choice. Uh, so yeah, you have a choice. You can choose to vote on the left or the right. Take your pick. 
And either way, we're still being enslaved. So I don't know about you, but my best guess at what we should vote would be this. I'm not foolish enough to fall for it anymore. I'm not going to buy this two-party system of Coke and Pepsi. Sometimes, like last night, I had a date with my wife, and I thought, when the waiter asked what I want to drink, I said, I think I'll have a sweet tea, right? If you are asked what you'd like to drink, and they say, would you like Coke or Pepsi? And you say, oh, no thanks, I don't like either. They don't say, well, then get out of here. You don't have any other choice. That's all we serve. And by the way, you can also choose to have nothing. No thank you, I'll have water, right? But yet we've been conditioned to think that it's Democrat or Republican. And in my lifetime, the Republican presidential candidates have gotten further and further and further and further and further away from biblical morality and biblical truth. Now, of course, right before they take the nomination and, and throw their hat in the ring, they all change, right? Uh, here's a good homework for you. I know the answer, but I'm just going to give this to you for homework. Go home and look at the list of past presidents, starting with our current one, and find the last Republican president who was not pro-choice and adamantly so until a few months before he chose to run for president on the Republican ticket. Also, while you're at it, find out how many of our Republican presidents used to be Democrats until it became expedient to become a Republican to be able to win the White House. Do your own uh, research on that. In 1841, Charles McKay had a prescient, uh, profound statement in his book, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. He said, men, it has well been said, think in herds. I don't know much about Charles McKay, don't know what his worldview was, and don't know if he was a believer, but he was on to something. Indeed, Jesus reminds us that it is the wide gate that actually captures most of the people. Narrow is the gate, uh, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And notice there are many who go in by it. Elsewhere, in Matthew 22, when he was giving the parable of the wedding feast, he said, Many are called, but few are chosen. See, the, the, the herd mentality causes people to sort of jump on bandwagons and get behind movements and, and things that they think are making a difference when it's, it's really not. Remember, democracy, the majority, Ben Franklin reminded us, is just two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. Liberty, on the other hand, is a well-armed lamb contesting the vote. Voltaire, the famous atheist, said, To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticize. I've been, you know, over the years, uninvited from conferences, uh, in some cases where I've spoken for multiple years, nine years in one case, because of information that I'm presenting right now. How dare you criticize the Republican Party? Blind allegiance. Remember, Satan is blinding men's hearts to the gospel. Think for yourselves. Think for yourselves. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history to today has been about 200 years. And during those 200 years, these nations always progressed through the following sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith, and I want you to think about America. From bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage. Uh, think about the Puritans who got on those ships uh, back in the 17th century and traversed the oceans and came to Plymouth Rock, which wasn't really where they landed. It kind of, it's an interesting story behind Plymouth Rock. If you're ever interested, go back and read it. But that sort of has become the symbol for religious 
freedom and, and people seeking religious freedom. From spiritual faith to great courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance. No doubt America has been the greatest nation ever in the history of the world in terms of its freedom and abundance and wealth. But from abundance to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, and then from dependence back in to bondage. This is Alexander Tyler's life cycle of nations. And dependence here is not just financial welfare, because remember, both sides of the right-left fake paradigm believe in welfare. There's corporate welfare on the right, so we bail out the banks, we bail out the automakers, we bail out any of the wealthy globalists who need more money at you and I our expense, or you can bail out the unemployed person sitting on the corner begging for food and be a Democrat. doesn't matter. You're still bailing people out. But it's not just talking about that. Um, we're, we're talking here about bondage of blind sheep being dependent on the government for everything. America is by no means immune to this evil influence of the depravity of man. The quote that you saw briefly on the screen of that clip that I played a moment ago was from William Casey. He was the uh, CIA director for Reagan's almost his entire term from 81 to 87. And um, uh, he has this incredible quote, um, which is from 81 when he took over. We will know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is a lie. Uh, he actually, later in life, uh, uh, toward the end of his term, in fact, uh, started to out some of the behind-the-scenes uh, black operations that were happening, particularly with the Iran-Contra affair. And he died under very suspicious circumstances right before he was supposed to appear at a congressional hearing under oath. So, uh, but this is coming from the CIA a director. Remember, Satan is trying to deceive the whole world. And he's well on his way to doing that. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Once the Antichrist uh, takes over the one world system, we know from the book of Revelation and elsewhere that he will largely deceive the world. People will take the mark of the beast and they will follow him uh, closely. Leonardo da Vinci, uh, back 500 years uh, ago, said there are three classes of people. Those who see those who see when they're shown, and those who don't see. That's because many are blinded uh, to the truth. It reminds me of something Jesus said. He said in Matthew 13, as He begins the parables of the kingdom, as we call them, uh, the disciples asked, why do you speak in parables? And He says, therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. <laughs> they're not listening to what I'm saying. They're already blinded. Satan has blinded their hearts to the gospel, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jewish leaders of their day. So I'm going to speak in a manner that you can understand, but it's not for them to know all of this information. Now, at this point, often people begin to really, their heads are spinning. You know, we're talking about a lot of information, throwing a lot of facts at you. And I just always like to remind people, do your own research. Don't just assume that because I said it, it's true. Um, you know, I have the advantage of having been going down this rabbit hole since 2007 and uh, have connected a lot of dots. 
some of you this may be new information, but what you cannot do, indeed what you must not do, is dismiss it out of hand. Albert Einstein reminded us, condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance. And as we're going to see in a moment, many people today uh, have started labeling things fake news simply because it doesn't agree with their worldview. It's called cognitive dissonance. And I just want to remind you, just because we haven't heard something before doesn't mean it's not true. It might not be true, but it doesn't mean it guaranteed isn't true. Einstein, I think, got this from a contemporary who was a theologian, a British theologian and a contemporary of his, uh, who said, There is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and this principle is contempt prior to examination. See, an anonymous psalmist basically said the same thing a thousand years before Christ in Psalm 111. He said, The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. We are to study diligently and seek the truth through the lens of Scripture. One thing we can guarantee is anything we find that doesn't correspond to biblical truth can be easily dismissed and invalidated as a lie. And a lot of people that have studied this Luciferian global elite agenda are not biblicists. And consequently, they bring into their teaching and their books that they write a lot of misinformation and disinformation and stuff that's not true. I was a theologian before I became aware of the real Luciferian conspiracy, and so my nature is to start with the Bible first. And so hopefully you're seeing, as we're going through this series, how the Bible certainly validates that all of these things could be true. They, they fit uh, the biblical paradigm. Uh, Carl Sagan put it this way, another atheist. He said, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It is simply too painful to acknowledge even to ourselves that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. You can boil down that... uh, sort of eloquent statement of Carl Sagan into a more uh, potent clip by Mark Twain, the great linguist. He said, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. Or Voltaire put it this way, it's difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. Or Gethe said, he was, by the way, a contemporary of Voltaire, none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Ram Das, an atheistic, mystic, New Age teacher, said the same thing. If you think you're free, there's no escape possible. Why is it that all of these non-biblical Christians seem to get what so many Christians don't get? Jesus understood this and taught this. He said it's not the sick, uh, not the, uh, those who are well that need a physician. It's the sick. It's the sick. And once you've believed the lie, then you are really putty in the hands of these Luciferian uh, co-conspirators. Voltaire, again, said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Why did Hitler do what Hitler did? He was simply living out the Darwinian ethic that his hero, Charles Darwin, taught in Origin of the Species. 
If you really think, as Darwin taught in Origin of the Species, that only an elite group of people are worthy of living and the rest are just useless breathers, people of color, people with abnormalities, people that, aren't, you know, that are a drain on society in his mind, these useless breathers, and they ought to all just be you know, weeded out by natural selection and killed, well, why wouldn't you use military force to exterminate people that don't look like you? Hitler was simply committing the atrocities that the absurdity of evolution suggested. Um, speaking of Hitler, uh, he said the principle which is quite, quite true in itself is that in the big lie, there is always a certain force of credibility. This is often misquoted as the bigger the lie, the more it will be believed. That's more of a paraphrase of this. That's what he was basically saying. The bigger the lie, the easier it is to believe it. But the exact quote is, in the big lie, there is a certain force of credibility. I mean, how else could you explain convincing billions of people that their ancestors were monkeys and apes and that they evolved from a, over billions of years from a wet rock? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's almost laughable if you just can strip away, you know, all that we learned in seventh grade biology and the fact that we've been told it's science when it wasn't science, it was eugenics. Um, it's almost laughable, and yet that's what most people believe. Uh, Vladimir Lenin put it this way, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. I've actually heard this said, I don't have the quote in front of me, but I've heard this said in mainstream news. I heard a panel discussion on Fox News, this was years ago, but they were talking about uh, how in California there was a case where animals were actually given the right to retain legal counsel and sue humans. <laughs> and uh, I forget the, more of the specifics about it, but that was the crux of the matter. But in the midst of the dis discussion, one of them said something to the effect of, this will become over time the accepted truth. And, it, and I rewound it and DVR'd it because I thought, well, that's exactly what we're talking about. Truth isn't an absolute anymore. It's a consensus. It's, it's what we declare it to be. Uh, Eric uh, Blair, who was better known by his pen name George Orwell, said, in the, act, in the age of universal deceit, he understood we're living in the great last day's deception, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. <clears throat> now we've got about just a few minutes left. I want to begin, uh, and we're going to spend some time on this because I think this will blow you away, talking about Edward Bernay. Edward Bernay who uh, lived from 1891 to 1995, and he's known as the father of modern propaganda. He was hired by the government and many private companies to influence thinking, and he was a master at manipulating thinking. His book, uh, Propaganda, is, uh, is, is one of his most famous books. He also wrote Crystallizing uh, Public Opinion. Uh, Life magazine called him one of the most 100 influential Americans of all time. Uh, let's listen to some of these quotes. Whatever of social importance is done today, whether in politics, finance, manufacture, agriculture, charity, education, or other fields, must be done with the help of propaganda. Men, people that is, are rarely aware of the real reasons which motivate their actions. A presidential candidate, this guy was rubbed shoulders with the elite of the elite. A presidential candidate may be drafted in response to overwhelming popular demand, but it is well known to those that are part of the conspiracy that his name was first decided upon by a half dozen men sitting around a table in a hotel room at play, or at places like Bohemian Grove or Bilderberg or places like that. Uh, man, he had so many 
to what would today seem unbelievable campaigns, but were mainstream. Most of us are not old enough to remember back this far. Uh, but, uh, for example, uh, he is the one who uh, really promoted cigarette smoking, particularly among women. These are some of his ad campaigns. More doctors smoke camel than any other cigarette. Of course, it's been widely known, and, and there have been documentaries and actually in Hollywood movies now that have come out to show that tobacco companies lied and knew for decades what the science and research was behind it, but they wanted money, so they continued to promote it. He uh, promoted uh, the campaign to try to get more women smoking, and he got Hollywood actresses and magazine uh, layouts and so forth. Um, again, uh, 20,679 physicians say luckies are less irritating. Uh, I like this one. This is from a famous opera singer. You need this throat protection too. Smoke Lucky Strike. It'll help you sing better. And here's another, or that one on the right there. Her throat was insured for $50,000. Now surely she wouldn't smoke if it wasn't safe and in fact help, healthy and helpful to her. I mean, it was unbelievable the kind of campaigns that this guy did. But again, when you're a Luciferian, and remember, Satan comes to kill, steal and destroy. Jesus said in John 8, he's a murderer from the beginning. He loves death, and, and Luciferians love death. It doesn't matter to you. Now, there, are no moral, there is no moral compass. Or what about some of these? I love this one. Uh, we have the youngest customers in the business. Right? No mom in her right mind is going to feed an infant Coca-Cola. Uh, for a better start in life, start Coca-Cola earlier. How soon is too soon? And the fine print there says, not soon enough. The sooner, the better. The spirit of pretense. So remember that, and I could go on. In fact, I think we're going to get into more later. Uh, but the next time you hear marketing campaigns, next time you hear science tell you, you know, just remember, science told, has told us a lot of things through the years that are simply not true. Right? The spirit of pretense. Uh, Proverbs 22 uh, tells us, Have I not written to you excellent things of counsels and knowledge, that I may make you know the certainty of the words of truth? There is value in studying. It leads to truth. Proverbs 15 says, the heart of the righteous studies how to answer. And in the original Hebrew, it doesn't mean how to phrase your answer. It means studies what answer to give so that you, you know the truth. Whereas it goes on to say in parallel, uh, contrasting parallelism, the heart of the rich, righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Are you studying? Uh, in Ecclesiastes, Solomon uh, put it this way. Actually, Proverbs 22 was not Solomon. It was an anonymous proverb. But this is Solomon. Further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Wearisome to the flesh. It pays good dividends to study, but it's hard. Especially when we, you know, validate our study with the Word of God. But we're, not, we're in a soundbite culture. We like to just eat up what we're told without actually taking the time to do the research. But one final quote from Albert Einstein, which I love, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't be called research, right? 
So we'll stop there. Next uh, week I'm going to get into some current articles, some of them from the last week or two, uh, that talk to this very issue of research and whether you should trust from mainstream articles. And I'll just tease you with this one from Forbes. This is from July 30th this year. You must not do your own research when it comes to science. Too many people are waking up, so now they're saying, whatever you do, and I'm going to give you some unbelievable quotes from this article, whatever you do, don't study things for yourself. Trust the government. That's what they want you to know. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we do have a stake in the ground that we can run to and tether our lives to and seek to find the true north when the winds are gusting all around us with filled with deception. Lord, I thank you for this church and its stand for truth for so many years and pray that you'd continue uh, to use uh, our church as a beacon of truth, especially for the gospel. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.